We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And welcome back to another episode of the BearCast. We are back here after two weeks. Um, we figured that scheduling-wise, it, it made more sense for us to reconvene after the Maui trip just because there were so many games. And I don't know about you guys, but um, it was a... Maybe we should have potted before. Maybe that would have left us in a little bit more happy spirits rather than what happened in Maui. Uh <laughs> But uh, how are you two gentlemen doing? Nick Krantz here, and also Reef uh, joins us again. Yeah, so Reef and I just got done watching a frustrating women's basketball loss to cap off a disastrous weekend full of watching Cal lose in different sports in different ways in different frustrating circumstances. So uh, good holiday cheer may be in short supply. Yeah, welcome to hashtag Cal Thanksgiving two and seven. <laughs> I think we are. The three of us sat together for a big game. Oh, you all know what happened there. Yep. I'm actually also battling a really bad cold, so not only was I trying to yell as loud as I could today during the women's basketball game, but I was doing so fighting off a really thick cough as we lost to a ranked opponent to close out this two and seven week. So yeah, it's gonna be one of them podcasts, I guess. Yeah, this is. I want to say we could only go up from here, but I'm not convinced that's true. Yeah, I mean, I didn't even realize how many games we've lost over the last two weeks until Reef just brought it up. Holy crap! In a variety of sports as well. Oh, oh boy! Shout out to women's basketball for those two wins. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, Yeah, take that, Brown. (laughs) Take that, Jaspers. (laughs) The Jaspers. Wow, that's a. Very unique mascot. Um, But yeah, we're here nonetheless to talk more Cal basketball. Um, So we'll get right into it. We're going to talk about the Wofford game for a bit, and then we're going to delve into... I don't know. Is there an adjective to describe that Maui trip? Because I'm blanking right now. Eventful? (laughs) Eventful? There were a lot of events. There were many events. Yeah, a a lot of things transpired. Um, I would uh, say, is downward spiraling considered yeah, an adjective? I think so. Yeah, it's a yeah a downward spiral spiraling trip. Sounds about right. There's well, something I mean, to be said for losing three games in a row and losing by more each game 
as the quality of opponents also get worse. That's I was going to say, yeah. how you go from up 18 on one of the top five teams in the country to down 27 to Chaminade, I think, was our low point. That, that's doing something. It's doing some stuff. Yeah. All right, let's let's start with the Wofford game then. All right, um, just to just to give you some some basics of it, Cal beats Wofford seventy nine sixty five. Uh, this happened two weeks ago. Uh, Kingsley Okoro, leading shot taker, was four of twelve, uh, played thirty seven minutes. Marcus Lee six of nine, seventeen points, eleven rebounds, another double double there. But he also had seven turnovers. And then Don Coleman, only nine shots. Five and nine from the field, but sixteen points, getting himself to the free throw line six times, and this was Darius. There's this was Darius McNeil's uh, coming out party. Seven of eleven from the field, three of seven from three, seventeen points, four assists, and one turnover and two steals. So, I guess the only the only name that we don't ever probably want to hear ever again is Fletcher McGee because that kid can flat out shoot the ball wherever he is on the court, and it was. It was fun to see, but at the same time, it wasn't just because he constantly was a thorn in Cal's side. Because he, oh my goodness, the the shots, some of the shots that he made was just flat out ridiculous. But I hand it off to Reef here. What your take on the Wofford game? I think it's hard to go back these four games now, but my general feeling leaving that game was was mildly encouraged. Wofford's a better opponent than our first couple of opponents. We had a difficult time in the first half defensively, recognizing um, that they had one good three-point shooter and our mission was to stop him. We did not. We allowed him a lot of open looks. But in this, again, I'm, I'm trying to take myself back in time before the events in Maui. But in the second half, the thing that I saw was the zone actually starting to identify where he was. You could actually see them on the court pointing to Fletcher McGee, which is what they should have done from the start. But you saw in the second half, pointing to Fletcher McGee, rotating the zone over to him, preventing him from catching the ball in good spots, um, getting in his chest when he was trying to get a shot off. And he had a, I don't actually don't have half breakdowns in front of me, but he had a um, significantly worse second half. And that was growth and adjustment on the defensive end to the tune of us actually winning by 14 with a bunch of balanced scoring. I think the stat you brought up, Rob, that was of concern, and, and spoiler alert, this is going to come up on the Maui trip, was Kingsley Okoro being our leading shot taker and only going 4 for 12 in the post against a Wofford team that's not known for strong post presence. But nevertheless, balanced scoring across the lineup Four players in double figures. Don Coleman with an efficient game. It looked like we were going somewhere. It looked like we had made some progress in our zone defense, recognizing shooters and getting out to them. Nick? About all I've got to add is what I saw in this game was what we were kind of hoping for at a bare minimum from this team was that against the Waffords of the world, they should be able to control things athletically. And that's what they did. Uh, Cal had 14 offensive rebounds and Wofford had two that were both, I think like balls that we tipped out of bounds. They were team rebounds. We completely controlled the glass 
which is what you should do when you have two athletic six foot 11 on average guys and you're playing the Waffords of the world. And it, it's sad that that's a, a form of progress because we didn't really show that in the first few games, but it was encouraging at the time. But then, spoiler alert, Maui, <laughs> better teams aren't going to uh, allow us to get more offensive rebounds than they have defensive rebounds. Yeah, I think I think most people came out of this game going, what Reef's been saying all year, right? It's growth, and that this after the Wofford game kind of looked like okay, they're it looks like they're finally getting it together. Like it took them a couple of games, and you know the freshmen getting their first couple of games under under them, and um, just getting their feet back, especially Darius and um, Joan Harris Dyson, who also this was his uh, season debut. Only played thirteen minutes in the game though, but um, yeah, it's uh, it's encouraging. It was encouraging to see at least the freshmen starting to to find their groove and just feel a lot more comfortable uh, playing college basketball. Uh, and we kept that growth going for twenty five more minutes of game time. <laughs> we did, we did that. We did. Uh, but yeah, I mean, other than that, is there anything else you guys want to add before we move on? Because I feel like the majority of this podcast is probably going to have to be dedicated towards what happened in Maui. No, I think I, I going into the Maui game, I wasn't ex- uh, the first Maui game against Wichita State. I was not expecting a win, but I thought our trajectory was positive. And then we sort of have this U-turn in Maui. So I guess let's get to it. All right. Let's delve into Maui. Let's, let's, uh, Start with the first game a little bit. I mean, because this was the highest point, was that we led Wichita State by close to 18 points, I believe, was the was our highest margin. Um, but ultimately, we ended up losing 92-82. to 82. And just to give you some stats from the game, player stats, just assuming 7 of 12, 4 of 6 from, the, uh, from 3, uh, 20 points and 6 rebounds. And then uh, Marcus Lee and Kingsley, who were both in a lot of foul trouble. So they sat out pretty much most of the game. Kingsley played 21 minutes. Marks only played 11. Uh, but they both fouled out at the end of the game. So this was this was built on our guards. Um, and Darius McNeil went 4 of 12, 2 of 4 from 3, 6 of 6 from the line, 16 rebounds, 4 assists and 4 turnovers. Don Coleman, 12 of 25 from the field, 4 of 6 from 3, 7 of 8 from the, from the free throw line, 35 points. Four, uh, three assists, four turnovers, and three steals. And that was pretty much where all our offense came from. Um, the Bears also shot a pretty crazy first half, 51.7% from the field, 70% from three, 83% from the line, and then that took a very bad U-turn where we shot 33% from the field and 33% from three in the second half. So that pretty much balanced out. Um, but I'll let you, you gentlemen... Uh, delve into this uh this weird one because i wrote the preview and i thought it was it was gonna be a loss from the get-go and i was terribly terribly wrong uh, but reef well i summed up a lot of this in my recap which feels like about eight years ago now <laughs> um the we are not a polished team we are not where we need to be in a lot of spots on the floor, offensively and defensively. We're still not sure where we want to get our shots. Our identity is still in flux. But I think if you 
are going to make a case for the Louisville system. Are we calling it Havoc now? Are we calling it the Viking system? Whatever we're calling it, this, be all over the floor, press up and down 94 feet, get in people's faces, speed them up, get them out of rhythm. All of that depends on energy and all of that depends on our guys coming out on the floor and dictating the pace to the other team. Not necessarily creating a bunch of turnovers, although we did. In the first half of that game, I think we created 11. But I think more importantly, you get the other team out of rhythm, even a really good veteran team like Wichita State, and you can be competitive games if you can, in games if you can bring a high level of energy. And I think that's what we saw. I don't think we played 18 points better necessarily than Wichita State in terms of quality of play. I think we shot ridiculously well from... The field, we shot really well from three-point range. I think Justice Suing at one point was four for four, for example. Don was hitting everything. Darius was hitting a bunch of threes. And Wichita was throwing it all over the place um, and not making shots. That being said, even without that shot variance, I think you saw for 25 minutes that we, when we're playing at a high level, when we're playing a lot, of, a lot of, with a lot of energy, we can take people out of their game. And we can be a team that competes in this style and makes people uncomfortable. That was my main takeaway from the, the, those first um, 25 minutes, and I was pretty excited by that. I had a few concerns, which played out in the second half of that game, in the last 15 minutes of that game, and I'll let, let Nick give his reaction to the beginning of that game as well. So it, it may be a contrarian reaction and this, this is this is unfair because it's 2020 hindsight now but i almost wonder if cal th this team showing that they're capable of playing the way they played to start against wichita now necessarily again like reef said specifically referring to the lead but just the fact that they were competitive on the floor with the top 10 team i wonder if it's almost the worst thing that could happen for uh, Wyking Jones because it shows us what this team can do if if they put it together and if they're going to fall so woefully short of that in the future it's going to bring up some a lot of questions about everything about how the program is being run but that's getting way ahead of ourselves I it's it's super exciting that they're even capable of playing at that level I I didn't expect Cal to ever play that well this season uh, because of so much turnover and and redo, completely redoing how we play basketball. I didn't think they would ever play as well as they played for those 25 minutes. Um, and I hope that it's not the only 25 minutes that we see all year of play like that. Yeah, I mean, the first half, I think all of, all of Cal's fan base was like, holy crap. We're really gonna do this. Um, we, I, I kept have to tell it. I, I kept telling myself like after every basket that went in, we're like, all right, this is where Wichita State's gonna start making a run. This is where Wichita State's gonna start making a run. This is where Wichita State's start making start making a run. But it never happened in the first half, and I was just I was blown away by the halftime score, which we were up by nine. But I, it was. It was shocking. Um, it was exactly as you said. Like this, this might have been the 
the double-edged sword here because we got we got a glimpse at what the potential of the team could look like if we're playing at the highest level possible. But the dismantling of what happened in the second half is exactly what comes from such a young team as well. So uh, it was uh, weird, weird, weird feelings. Um, well, I think it, it's nice coming off this women's basketball game where I'm feeling very emotional about, emotional about that because I have a lot less emotion right now for a game that happened five days ago. But <laughs> I think the first thing that was of concern to me as I was watching that game is you could see the high level of energy we were expending. And I'm looking back now on the minutes, and only seven guys got more than seven minutes on the floor. So Austin, Nick Hamilton, Deshaun, and Roman – were out there, um, but played seven, five, three, and two minutes respectively, which meant Don Coleman, 37 minutes, Justice Suing, 36, Darius McNeil, 36. And those guys were our primary ball handlers and our primary scorers and the ones creating all of the energy in the press. And so I think as we go forward, that's something to keep an eye out on. I think the key to that first 25 minutes was a huge amount of energy we were expending. Don Coleman was flying around. He was just, he was just everywhere. He was in everyone's grill. He was creating turnovers. He was taking shots, driving into the lane, getting fouled. A lot of good stuff was happening with the energy he was bringing and our um, best three guard wing um, combo was bringing. But over that same amount, over the course of the game, I'm counting one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten Wichita State players in double-digit uh, minutes. And that's, that, I think, was a factor, a really large factor in, sorry, nine Wichita State players in double-digit minutes. And the most uh, was Zach Brown at 32. So I think over time, that's going to be something that we have to keep an eye out on because if competitiveness is going to be tied to this energy that we bring, can we do it with such a short rotation and without rotating guys in and out of there? I think that, that was problem number one. Problem number two was just plain old execution. I wrote in my piece, we turned the ball over 11 times in the last 30 possessions um, against this. I, I couldn't tell um, on film whether it was a 1-2-2 press or a 1-2-1-1, but regardless, man on the inbounder, trap in the corner, 11 turnovers, a lot of poise problems, seemingly not great adjustments in how we broke that thing. And Nick, I, I'm letting be the stat guy for this podcast, but Nick, you tell me, um, 11 turnovers and 30 possessions, you like that or not? A turnover percentage approaching 33%. Well, <laughs> if we talk about the worst teams in the nation... Uh, they will typically turn the ball over 25% of the time on a day-to-day -day basis. So you're talking about, you know, significantly worse than the worst team in the nation. <laughs> uh, I, I, to say nothing of the fact that what are we going to be doing with the other 66% of our possessions where we actually, you know, get a shot off. Um, yeah, it's bad. Let me ask you. I, I need. I mean, I don't want to. I don't want to interject. But I. I wanted to ask you guys this uh, as I was watching that game. It was 
we run a press style defense. We we run a press and then we set back into a zone. Is it a problem that we weren't able to break a press that we implement on our own on defense? Like, is is that not a, a big of a concern? Because that was my concern. Is if you're seeing that playing playing just in practice, if that's what you're practicing, it should be a lot more comfortable for you to know where to go and how to break it since you're seeing it so often. I think yes and no. I, I was having a hard time with this. That was a topic of a lot of discussion after the game. We run a lot of 2-2-1 two, two, um, unless 1-2-1-1 um, one, one, and less of that trapped in the corner. But we do run it. Um, I, I wasn't sure what the plan was, I guess, Re- regardless of whether we practice, practice against it or not. I think my, my main concern was, okay, so they're shading middle. They're giving you that pass in the corner. Um, our friend Terrence was talking about why weren't we getting a man, why weren't we getting a man flashing into the middle. Um, we tried a couple times to bring the inbounder straight in and pass back to him and make him be the decision maker. We screwed that up a few times. So I actually ran back every single one of those turnovers. And, and, and to be fair, some of it wasn't scheme. Some of it was just we just lost our poise, fumbled some balls out of bounds, traveled, threw the ball away, did some, did some silly things that freshmen will, freshmen will do. But schematically, I also wasn't exactly sure what the plan was. And, and, and I tend with a young team and a young coaching staff to give some allowance on that. But um, I'm a little bit concerned, sure. Um, and yeah, I mean, it, it, it was, it was, it was, I think a a problem of both strategy and execution as best I could tell. They didn't play well. They didn't play well for 15 minutes and I I don't want to make long-term judgments quite yet. I mean, maybe we can, if if we look at the totality of Maui, but I I think overall, um, it it raised some stuff that we want to see get better. How about we put it? Well, and now we can start talking about how that collapse is maybe too harsh uh, when you're talking about trying a, a team of our talent level to beat you know, the fourth best team in the nation or whatever. But we can talk about how that carried over, perhaps, into the next two games in Maui. Yeah, so let's move on and then uh, so we can get to some more, some more questions and topics. Uh, we'll move on to... The next one, which is, I guess we'll just lump the next two together because this, it was, I don't know, I I think the one of my buddies uh, called me after uh, the Shamanad game and he said this this was like um, this was like jumping blindfolded into a pit, like you just the the initial jump gets you to that high point and you you have that moment of exhilaration. And then as you're falling, you have no idea what is below. <laughs> and you just, you, you're constantly in fear as you're falling. And that perfectly encapsulated my, my post, like my hindsight view of what happened in Maui. Um, so yeah, let's, let's get to the VCU game and also the Shamana game. VCU wins 83-69. Um, we have a, a abysmal shooting night 26 of 60 as a team don coleman of course 8 of 16 21 points um the our our big men once again in a little bit of 
not really in foul trouble, but they were mostly ineffective. Uh, Marcus eleven and twelve, so another double double there. Kingsley six and three, um, two block shots. But the big stat again is Marcus with six turnovers, um, playing twenty nine minutes. So that was all our offense there. And then of course VCU, Dariante Jenkins just decided to have the game of his life. 11 of 15 from the field, 5 of 8 from 3 with 11 rebounds, 27 points, 11 rebounds. The guy was an absolute monster. And then we'll, and then the Shamanat game, oh, God. Um, Shamanat beats Cal 96 to 72. Justice Suing was our leading shot taker this time, 9 of 18 from the field, 5 of 10 from the free throw line, 23 points, 7 rebounds. Darius McNeil, 18 points on 8 of 13 shooting, 2 of 5 from 3. Don Coleman, 3 of 13 from the field, uh, 1 of 4 from 3 with 11 points. And that's pretty much it. I mean, we, we coughed the ball over 12 times in the Chaminade game, forced 11 turnovers from Chaminade, which, by the way, yes, if you're thinking that it's a D2 school, it is a D2 school. Uh, Danley Walker was as a as a team and I'll I'll hand it off after after this comment was as a team Shamanad was making three-pointers that should not be being made by a division 2 school like this was some of those threes were just jaw dropping how just insane those threes were um I was as just a pure basketball fan I was amazed by some of those threes as a Cal fan I hated those threes cuz there's just yeah yeah, there's nothing we'll talk about. I'll hand it off to Reef. Well, I want I want to talk about the two games separately, just real quick, because I, I do think there are some distinct things to take out of both of them. The VCU game, I heard a lot of well, because VCU is a pressing team, and, and uh, they're coached now by a Shaka Smart assistant who is playing his style again. And 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 I heard a lot of people saying, well, Cal's turning it over a lot early. They didn't learn anything from last night, et cetera. And there's some element of truth to that, but I do want to point out that VCU runs a very different type of press and killed this at the end of the Wichita State game. They run a man press. What they, what they do is essentially they man up full court, and then they'll bring a doubler off of someone that they think is a poor ball handler to try to get the ball to go to him. And we made some bad decisions around that, but it was not the same as getting trapped in the corner. It was a, it was a whole new set of... Um, defensive problems that we had to face, and with the, all of the energy we, we expended for Wichita State, and virtually no time to prepare, and no time really to look at tape and to, and to have a real practice, I understood that a little bit more. That part wasn't hor- as troubling to me as as I think the number one factor that well, two factors that I saw in the beginning of the game. Number one, I talked a lot about Wichita State. Uh, and the energy we brought to that game, getting hyped up. We hadn't played in a few days. We were going to Hawaii. We were big-time tournament, ESPN, all that. That energy was just not there for the beginning of the VCU game, and that focus was just not there. Well, it was there. VCU had it. Right? And they had just played the day before, too. We did not bring that energy at all. You could you could see it sort of viscerally. You could see it as you were watching our team. They came out sleepwalking, which we've done a few times um, this year, and, and – the other thing that happened at the beginning of that game, which I think helped VCU get out to this lead, but is also the thing that concerns me a whole lot as we go forward, and I think concerns our coaching staff as well, is we tried to force-feed that post so much at the beginning of the game, so, so much, 
And I think what we saw was our bigs with their back to the basket against a VCU team that's all right, but isn't isn't um, composed of a lot of All-Americans up front, and it's undersized, right? The biggest guy on the front line is 6'8", and our bigs just had trouble. They had trouble with their back to the basket generating offense. We saw a bunch of travels and careless bobbles and, and, and guys not kicking it out of doubles, that sort of thing. And so before you knew it, VCU was up 15. We kept trying to enter the post, and Don was being really patient, right? And that wasn't getting us any offense. Meanwhile, we weren't generating any sort of havoc on defense. And, I mean, let's face it, down 15 to a solid club, that's not going to be our spot. And I think that game was really lost within the first 10 minutes, and that was troubling. Chaminade, I think, was, was if we're going there, was a whole different level of discouraging because I I can't even point to any one thing in particular. I just thought we got beat at every facet of the game. Yes, they shot really well, but what's supposed to happen when a Division team, division two team shoots out of their mind is they play even with you as a Division one team, right? You're in a close game at the end, right? Not you get blown out by 27. And so in the Chaminade game, I did not see us, A, bring that energy that I was talking about, but B, I was not seeing us defend. I mean, we should be, I'm going to use a White King's words here, but it, it's what I saw running that tape back. We should be embarrassed at defensively how easily we were giving up, not just wide open threes, but layups, how easily they were bringing up getting any shot they wanted, and how hard it was for us to get into our offense. Maybe that's just three games in three days. Maybe there's some psychological stuff that goes along with that, and maybe that says something about the morale of the team right now, but... It was just fundamentally bad basketball from beginning to end. And that was, I think, the most discouraging performance I've seen in a number of years from a Cal team. Yeah. Before I hand it off to Nick, I just want to read the quote because I, I got the press releases uh, mailed to me. Uh, right after the Chaminade game, they had Coach Viking up on the podium. They only he They didn't ask him any questions. He just went up there, gave a gave thoughts on the game, and then I think that was it because there's no other quotes. But here's what it says. It says, For me, in all the years that I've been coaching, I've never been so embarrassed in my life from the lack of effort from our guys. So for me, it's about going back to the drawing board, myself and my staff, and figuring out what changes we need to make because there are definitely changes that need, definitely needs to be some changes. So we just have to go back to the drawing board and figure that out, what changes we need to make. But there will definitely be some changes. End quote. All right, to Nick. So we got three changes and two drawing boards <laughs> yep. dropped in that quote. Yep. Um, so I, I'll, I'll start with my thoughts on that quote and then move into my, generally some thoughts from the, the, the two losses to close out Maui. Um, what I found interesting about the quote is all through the preseason, before the season started, we saw kind of a concerted effort from this coaching staff to tamp down expectations, to say that progress should not be measured in wins and losses, and that this was going to be a rebuilding year. And so I found it interesting that still very early in the season, and admittedly after a truly seismic result that 
we're already talking about wholesale changes of an unspecified type. And I'll, I'll be curious to see what that means. I, it might, in fact, be the right decision to abandon some sort of defensive concept. Uh, but it, it's a little concerning to me that in a year that they uh, have specifically said is about progress, skill development, learning, and not about wins, that losses have apparently led to uh, kind of a, a heart-to-heart stare at ourselves for a long time in the mirror and decide what we are moment. But, on the other hand, when you allow Chaminade to make 55% of their two-point shots, when you allow Chaminade to have a higher offensive rebounding percentage, when you allow Chaminade to score 1.32 points per <laughs> possession... You probably do need to head to take a look at yourself in a mirror. And so we have to talk about what got us to this point. And I'd, I'd like to ask uh, two questions for those of you who actually watched the game. I, unfortunately, was stuck at work, or eh, fortunately. Um, one question I have, and this is about more than just Chaminade, but uh, Cal is currently allowing teams to attempt a ton of three-pointers and allowing them to make a high percentage of three-pointers. And I'm, I'm curious everybody's thoughts on that you know, after watching Chaminade shoot 15 of 25. And, and just generally, what percentage of this, this shocking defeat can just be chalked up to um, effort or lack thereof, which seemed to be the the biggest thrust of Vikings post game comments. I think there's I think there's a range. I think I, I want to be careful because Dan Dakich, I think that's his name, uh, was ripping on us for quitting and 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 and, and body language and, and 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 I thought that was a little harsh. I think. I think I think you have to understand this in degrees. We have to come out with our hair on fire. That's that's what you saw in the Wichita State game. That's what this defense requires, right? That's what this system requires, and you especially need to bring that when your talent plus experience level combined are 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 going to be um, challenged this year because. We have our, our best players are probably our youngest players, our least experienced players, and they, they're starting to figure out the whole D1 thing. And our more veteran players are sort of limited offensively. Right? You, you got to come out and you have to uh, bring this ultra high level of energy. And I don't, I don't think we brought that. I think also what happened was not necessarily an energy thing, but the attention to detail I thought was, was horribly lacking. In a way that it was it was mediocre against VCU, but then it was just awful. It was just guys not rotating. It was guys not communicating. All of the basic sound fundamental stuff that is good basketball. I think we did that against a Division two team, and I think that's quite bad. Yeah, I think the key here is that. Oh, in the gut. Yeah, no, I mean, I think the the key thing here that 
people have to understand is that there's a difference between like just not coming out and wanting to play versus having two losses hanging over your head, one of which was just you you blew a chance to upset one of the best teams in the country and that on a young team. And I don't know, there's no pointing fingers here. It's just, it's a young squad and they, they lost a heartbreaker and they just weren't over it yet. And they had, they had to come back out and play two games in a row. And I mean, you saw it the most in the Chaminade game. It was just, they, they looked like they were mentally drained. They looked like they just weren't, they weren't ready for another game. Like they needed, they needed like a day to kind of reset and, and get their minds right. Um, but it wasn't, it wasn't a lack of effort because they just they didn't want to play. It's just an it's an experience thing of being having to be forced to play three highly competitive games in three nights. So, and I, I think that's a really important point because I think the implication on the broadcast was Cal has no heart; they've given up. And I saw a lot of energy out there and a lot of guys caring. I think I mean, that's what through the TV screen. That's what it looked like to me. But I also thought, I think, to Rob, to your point, I also saw saw a lot of guys not knowing where to direct that energy, and um, and, and not as focused as they needed to be. And I, I think this is also, uh, I'm a freshman in, at the D1 level, and I'm on the third day of a road trip, and I'm handling a lot of stuff kind of thing, where you... You want to play at the D1 level, you got to bring it every night with just a certain level of focus and professionalism. And I don't think we brought that. But I don't think it was guys, you know, giving up on the team or anything like that. I think they were running around trying to kind of do the right thing, but they weren't particularly focused in terms of actually the fundamental things that make up good basketball. That being said, the, I mean, the other piece of this, though, and this is – I really, we're six games in, so I don't want to come down too hard on this coaching staff, but Nick was bringing up the change. And I think, I think the first thing you got to ask, though, is are these coaches putting the players in a position to succeed? I'm actually still pretty wait and see on the press, especially if that's going to be our style, and especially given our recruits. But I think that's something you can work with. I think the thing that, the thing that I am more concerned about, at least short term, and the thing that I, I've been wondering about all, all along, which I think we're seeing play out and which I think is going to change next Tuesday is this whole idea that we're going to play through our bigs and there are seniors, there are leaders, they're going to have their back to the basket and they're going to dominate people. And we are, we are going to play with them in the press and we're going to let Marcus run all over the floor. And it turns out at this point, just foul everyone, right? This, this idea that our bigs are going to lead us, I think is, is putting everyone in a position where it's very, very difficult to succeed. I think you saw in the beginning of VCU when they just got touch after touch after touch and it was just turnover foul, turnover foul. And I think you saw, I hate to see this because I love our guys, but you saw Aminad bigs outplaying our bigs. And Kingsley Okoro has strengths. I don't know if his back to the basket, that's the place we're going to find that strength. Marcus Lee has strengths. Same thing. I don't know him facing up from 10 and trying to make a move is where we're going to find his strengths. And if we're running the offense through that, I think you put your whole team in a position that's very, very difficult. And I think if I'm, if I'm thinking about what this drawing board looks like, I think maybe you have to start with that as your focal point in offense and those lineup combinations. And 
you got to really think, okay, is this the way we're going to play when we have some wings that it turns out can get things. Nick? I don't think I have anything else to add about <laughs> the Maui games, especially since I didn't actually watch them. Yeah. But I, I do, I, I certainly agree that uh, I, they, they, they're going to have to seriously rethink everything that they're doing on both ends of the court. And I don't know what that's going to look like when they come out the next few times. It'll be interesting to see. Yeah, for me, and I'll, I'll, we'll wrap we'll wrap this this part up. But for me personally, whenever we had just one of our two bigs out on the floor playing that five spot in that two three, I think that's when we were, we were most effective. And particularly when Marcus was out there, because he was barking orders for the zone left and right and constantly talking to them. And that's probably just some things he's he's picked up over and being the senior as well. But for me, that's and, and then having whoever we want out on the on the wings and then our two point guards of course or our two guards up top with Don and uh, Darius I think that's our best look is going offensively and defensively it gives us the most versatility it also gives us at least one guy who can clog up the entire paint and he get, he has free reign over what he wants to do in the paint versus when we have our two bigs and we try to run that high low it works but then it also Sometimes just it, it's a, it's a turnover. It just that's that's what it's been. So yeah, I'm I'm actually uh, just as curious as you guys to see uh, what happens on Tuesday because uh, judging from the quote, it sounds like we're gonna see something drastically different. So yeah, I guess uh, if there's any no, if there's no other thoughts, we'll move on. Any other? I think um, I, I've got some big picture maybe questions to pose, but that may be where you're going next anyway. Yeah. Go ahead, Reef. It's all, it's all you. Um, so I, I, I want to be careful here because I was, and I don't want to call anyone out, but I was listening to another cop podcast that was named after an area code. Um, and, and, and one of our um, alums and insiders seemed almost gleeful about the lack of success early on in the White King Jones um, regime, I guess, because he um, probably predicted that White King was going to struggle. And I don't, and I, did, I, I was actually listening to that on Thanksgiving Day, and I don't think that's a particularly good look uh, for us as a community. Uh, we want our guy to succeed. And so I want to be careful when I raise some of the questions that I have that, that I'm not bringing that tone to it, that um, this is our guy now. And we, and we need – we're hoping that he, that this is the low point and we are going to go up from here. But um, I, I think it's also fair after six games to wonder a few things. I mean, first of all, we – it's not like the whole big two bigs back to the basket question wasn't something that a lot of us were thinking about all along, right? That's not just hindsight, I think. I actually brought it up in our first podcast. Is that really the lineup that's going to get us somewhere? Now, it's his team. He sees them every day, his decision. But I think what you saw in Maui is that killed us, that lineup and, and, and relying on that particular set of schemes. So what's that adjustment look like is part one. And what is that going to look like going forward? Now, Rick, Nick wrote a, a, a 
got good piece on, okay, this has been a really bad six games. Now we get to see what the coaches do. Well, let's see what the coaches do. And I think the other piece is I hope, and I don't want to make any judgments on this. I'm not in that locker room. But I hope that Coach knows what he's doing when he puts out that kind of a statement at the end of a road trip. Yeah, it's a horrible loss. I think Nick crowned it the worst loss in program history. And that's pretty bad. But you take that quote, and that's all on the players. And I hope that he has a relationship with the players such that that that's something that we can build on as a program and then we can go forward um, together with as a program. And I hope he doesn't lose that locker room, I guess, is because you don't, you don't hear coaches say that very often. And I think, I think it's worth noting that this is his first head coaching job. And this is a heck of a baptism right now. And I mean, the last piece, and I don't want to bring in, too much speculation here until we hear more, but it's been noted um, by many people that Theo Robertson was no longer on that bench for the last two games in Maui. And we're still waiting for more news on that, but you put all those things together, right? The three losses, the worst loss in program history, the needing to rethink some stuff that I think a lot of us were wondering about from the beginning. And what... Looks like some interesting quotes from the coaches and who knows what's going on in that staff and in that locker room. And I think we're in a challenging time right now. And I hope that a first year head coach has the wherewithal to handle it. But if I'm a fan of this program and I've lived and died with this thing for 20 plus years, I, I really have some concern now and I hope we see some good signs in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, Nick? So one of the things I've been saying pretty consistently during the offseason and early in the season is that that Viking is um, a lottery ticket because we don't we we hardly know anything about him. His resume is significantly uh, skimpier than the vast majority of other hires you see in the Pac-12. And fair or not, that means he has to prove pe- to people uh, who he is and what he can do. Um, and I think that we've been very fair about being realistic about the situation he has in- inherited. But at the same time, it's on him to try to bring as much stability to this program as he can. And potential coaching staff changes in the middle of the season is not stable. Um, ripping his the effort of his players and indicating wholesale schematic changes is not stable. Um, this is not Mike Montgomery coming in here with the, the Hall of Fame career already behind him and all of the cachet that comes with that. This is a coach who doesn't have that cachet. 
and I don't want to doubt him, but he has to give us reasons to trust him at the same time. And I hope we see some of that, of that soon. We need it. So let me ask you guys another question then. How, how important is Tuesday's game in terms of how we come out and play and what we see in terms of what they're trying to do on the court? Or is this one of those things where we kind of give them the benefit of the doubt and give them an elongated period of time? Well, so I think it's worth noting that Cal State Northridge is almost certainly the worst Division One team we will play this season. <laughs> um, I appreciate that caveat. They have lost every single game they've played and have only been competitive in two of them. Um, this is a this is a game that if we were talking about a normal situation, you know, if, if we had just gone to Maui and lost two games to two good teams and then beaten Chaminade, you know, we would just be kind of shrugging and saying, eh, you know, 10, 15 point win, whatever. Um, now that we have these doubts, you know, are we, are we going to see any schematic changes and will they work? And uh, probably more importantly, is this team going to come out um, is is Vikings message going to be received and responded to positively? I think is probably the biggest question. Um, we need we need players that are bought into what their coach is telling them. And struggling with Cal State Northridge would be an indication that that maybe is not a sure thing. Reef, I think. I'm looking at this season in fourth um, game uh, quarters, and con- conveniently because I write the recap on um, eight sixteen twenty four and in, in the end, um, so and I have the St. Mary's recap, which so our, our our games next week are Northridge and then St. Mary's, and 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 then it's time to take stock, and I think. So I don't know that it's about this game, although I think losing on Tuesday would be a really, really horrible sign for the program on our home floor. Um, I'm looking at it more as, okay, so over a quarter of the season, what have we learned? And as as Nick raises, is this team, are are there signs that this team is still bought in and still committed and, and still learning and growing? And... I did not see in the Chaminade game um, a lot of reason to be positive about that. In fact, I think it was obviously is one of the worst losses we've ever seen. And but I think also fundamentally, on everything we were trying to do it was it was just an awful, awful performance of the basic basketball stuff that this this was trying to teach. So I think during the Northridge game and during the St. Mary's game. I want to see body language. I want to see a team that's, that's that looks like it's bought in out there, and I want to see us take care of some of these fundamentals. I, I wrote in my piece, um, or it might have been in one of the comments. I think the most disturbing thing about the Shamanad thing was just the basic, the the basic stuff that you learn in high school wasn't being done. 
the basic stuff that you learn in junior high wasn't being done, right? It was just, just a really poor game fundamentally from a team that, Rob, you pointed out, was mentally drained for sure. And it was third game in three days. And, and it's probably a hard to get up for Shamanai. But all that being said, a lot of this stuff needs to get done automatically. So if that doesn't get fixed in the next two games, and if we can at least go out there and show a pulse against St. Mary's, I'm not expecting to be St. Mary's. But I do want to point out Washington State just beat and there are competition for the bottom of this conference, according to most prognostications. So I need, to, I need us to go out there and to show that schematically what we're doing makes sense, right? We're going to see different lineups. I think we're going to see different um, stuff schematically, I suspect, on offense. These would be my guesses, uh, different lineup combos. Does all of that make sense? And is the team bought into that? Because I think my my worry when you have the worst loss in program history, and yeah, you've got some recruits with letters of intent, but also kind of you know we're in this place where we've got to rebuild the kids. This thing can go off the rails really quickly if you lose your players. So let's make sure we don't lose our players and see what that looks like on the court. All right. Um. I got one last question for you because this is I had I had a a very argumentative uh, texting thing between a friend of mine because he was because we were talking about Viking Jones after that Shamina loss and what they think should happen and I had my thoughts and he had his but ultimately it came down to this and since both of you guys watch football watch the Cal football team as well I think I think it makes sense but. Has the turnaround that Wilcox has done with the football team maybe have put uh, a subconscious, I don't know, um, inception on Cal fans where our, the coach on the other side is going to do the same quick turnaround as well? That that we saw that glimmer of hope with Wichita State in that half and all of a sudden everyone forgets that it's a rebuild year and instead turns into... We should not be losing these games. Um, so I guess the I guess it boils down to the question of: Do you think the football success has tainted some fans' minds into believing that this isn't a rebuild year, just uh, just a little blip in the road? You know, I want to take that a, a slightly different direction. I see where you're going with it. Um, I think that our experiences with both basketball and football over the last week shows to you the the incredible importance of winning games when it terms comes to the psyche of the fan base so cal football has gone 5 and 7 despite most people thinking that they were a four win team and injuries to a number of significant players and three of those losses were uh one-score losses that could have gone either way. But because the last two games were close losses to Stanford and UCLA teams that Cal fans desperately want to beat, you have fans reacting in ways that I think are maybe not super rational, like, eh, who cares if Bo Baldwin goes to Oregon State? Uh, he, he can't be that great because we didn't win these last two games. And... Uh, and I don't. There, people are not out on Wilcox at all, but for the first time, they're starting to express questioning opinions or, or feelers of, of 
anything but a, la- a total and complete confidence in him. And I think you're seeing the extreme version of that in basketball because the results are comparatively extreme, which is we knew it was going to be bad. And we knew we were probably not going to be getting wins in, in, in high supply. But there's a huge difference between looking at the schedule, thinking about talent and saying, eh, maybe we'll go 13 and 17, but then actually watching the games and reminding yourselves that, oh man, I forget how much I hate watching us lose games. And that changes how fans react to, to games. Um, so I don't think that the football success has meaningfully changed how Cal fans have reacted to the basketball team other than to say that it, it doesn't matter how much you tell yourself things are going to be bad before the year, actually watching it still makes you react negatively to it. Yeah, I was actually going to say pretty much the exact same thing. That, that What I've discovered this year is folks don't... Folks have a hard time being... wrapping their heads around rebuilding and what that means and setting a realistic set of expectations around it, mostly because, look, we obsess over this stuff, and and we, we're doing this podcast because we spend a whole lot of our um, really ill-conceived free time following Cal basketball, and this is something that we care about. A lot of folks just see scores, or they show up for the game, and they, you know, I heard at the women's basketball game today, oh, they're just passing around the perimeter just like Ben Braun. Not a lot of nuance there. But this is how folks perceive games Um, and a very sort of um, superficial is demeaning. I don't mean to say that, but, you know, they they see what they see immediately on the court without thinking a whole lot about it. And if we win, they're happy. Right. That's that's the nature of sports. Um, And um, I'm just glad they're out there supporting. So. I, I think there's that piece of it, and and, and, and I'm not sure that um, it really matters what the football team has done. Honestly, I just think people see we lost to Chaminade, what the heck, that's terrible, right? We lost to Riverside, what the heck, that's terrible. I mean, folks didn't even see the game, right, or tweeting this. And, and, and this is part of the deal. And in, in a major revenue D1 sports is at, a, at a big five school, at a power five school, this is what you have to do. But I also think in terms of our discussions, what we're looking at, there's rebuilding and then there's rebuilding, right? And, 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 and we need to be fair, but we also need to be principled in terms of what we're observing. I think this year, I think we all probably would have agreed at the beginning of the year, 15 wins with a, an upward growth trajectory, we could live with that. Uh, your average fan would not have been very happy with that, right? That would have been, I'm just looking at um, Cal Records, that would have been our worst, a 15-win season would be our worst since 2005, right? And that's, and that's not something that most folks are going to be able to accept. I think that's something we could live with amongst us chickens, though, because um, that along with, with progress and growth and a good recruiting class, that gives us some hope for the future. I think if you're losing to the Chaminades of the world, and you start bringing in, I think it's very early to predict, but you start bringing like single digit wins into play. Um, that's a problem no matter who you are, no matter what the football team did, no matter what your perception is. And so I think 
first of all, we do need to beat the teams like Northridge. We, we, we needed to beat a team like Chaminade. We have a bunch of cupcakes lined up. And like Nick says, at a certain point, you just got to start winning some games. Um, but I think also, if, if you're realistically looking at what a rebuild is supposed to look like, I don't know that we've seen the trajectory yet that even we wanted to see being knowledgeable followers of this team. And I think that's really the cause for concern for all of us. Because I think the three of us are probably more inclined to give this coaching staff and this team rope than I think any other group of three people out there. Right? And so we're starting to get impatient. Think about what the fan base is going to do if we start losing a few more games like this. Yeah. Presumably, Viking has some family, but <laughs> barring that. By the way, one thing I wanted to add, just on a dark humor note, I think it's uh, incredibly Cal-ish to build uh, an 18-point lead against Wichita State and have everybody blow up on it about it on Twitter, such that Cal fans actually tune into the game in time to watch the collapse. I'm I'm gonna blame. I'm gonna blame Nam. I'm I'm gonna blame him. I'm gonna blame him. That for is the, always fair. I'm gonna blame him for the activation of the Namlay curse when he tweeted out, "Let's do this, shooty hoops. Um, let's beat number six. And as soon as I saw that tweet, I responded to him saying, "The Namlay curse is about to be activated, isn't it?" And lo and behold, lo and behold, the end of the game, he tweeted out, "Sorry." So. Well, you know, uh, it, it's funny. I I, I I try to keep my mouth shut unless I maybe I'm talking directly to Nick or Rob or or Adams or somebody. Um, I, I never felt good about that game, to be honest. My my emotional side was really really rooting for us, and at a certain point, I just let go of my rational side, even up eighteen. And yeah, you start to feel good up eighteen, but knowing our foul trouble, knowing our inexperience, knowing our minutes, and I still look at the minutes in that game, and I'm just. I mean, I don't know how we were still walking after Don played 37 and Justice and Darius both played 30, 36 in that that high-paced a game. Um, I really wanted to tweet, y'all need to calm down because this is Wichita State. You should have read Rob's preview. This is a veteran team. They're really good. Their guards are really good. They have the best coaches in the country. Um and I don't know, maybe if I had tweeted out we're probably going to lose, I could have reverse cursed us into a win. <laughs> and so maybe that's my fault. Um, but I, I never, as that was going on, did my rational mind think, I feel really good about us getting this win. Um, and, I, and I just wanted us to play well down the stretch, and we kind of didn't. And But yeah, it's, it, it was a very Cal thing to go from, I'm thinking back on, on that, what was it, Monday? I'm thinking back on that that collective community that was so excited on Twitter and just how different it felt 48 hours later for the Chaminade game. And oh, man, it's already been a heck of a year, huh? Yeah. Well, you know, us, us bloggers, we're, we're going to make some changes. We're going to go back to the drawing board <laughs> and there will be changes, changes on the drawing board that will be made. Can we, um, can we just do full-time coverage of women's hoop? Can we just shift all our coverage to women's hoop? That might be a better idea. I mean, we we could we could just uh, we could just set up a whole new podcast. I'm sure we'll get more listeners on the women's basketball one than we do on the men's anyway, since no one's paying attention to the men's. Because I got 
I was running the Golden Blocks Twitter account, and I got some pretty like ridiculous tweets, uh, like up after the Shamanade loss, of people saying like, you know, why should I, I, one guy tweeted at me saying, uh, why, why shouldn't I give up on this team when the team gave up on itself? Um, I'm not spending another penny on this type of team. Uh, there were there were some really really just uh, extreme extreme opinions. But I think this underscores exactly what Nick was saying. Regardless of context, situation, rebuilding, whatever, you can't lose to Shamanad. And and you, you you can try to explain it in a whole bunch of different ways. And 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 I would have even felt more comfortable if, if yeah they were crazy from deep and we lost at the buzzer or we lost in the last minute or whatever. But you especially can't lose to Shamanad by twenty plus. You can't do it. Um, and expect to retain a fan base and to retain loyalty and to retain interest and to retain team morale, right? This, this, is, this is a serious low point in the Cal basketball program in my memory. This is a, this is a really, really low point, and that's why I, I hope Viking has an answer from here because – yeah, on the one hand, I was seeing the exact same tweets, and on the other hand, my and, and, and the part of me that wants to defend Cal and 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 and, and who and, and that really dislikes when people pile on was really angered by that. But the rational part of me understands. You lose to a Division Two team, and they're not even a good Division Two team; they're a mediocre Division Two team, and you lose to that kind of team. And that's that's the way fans are going to react. This is this is a big boy world, and 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 this is what we're dealing with. So we better come out and fix it. I mean, that's that's what we're that's what the coaching staff is paid to do. So 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 let's fix it. Let me. Uh, and if we don't, oh no, go ahead, Nick. So, and if we don't, then we're going to spend this uh, podcast each week talking about the the culture of falling following a completely lost season, which does not oh. excite me. Oh God! Can we? Uh, we need some highlights to talk about. We we do. All right. Let me let me ask you guys a question as we close here. I think I think our last home game when we played against Wofford, or it was either Wofford or Cal Poly. They said the official attendance was about six thousand people. Do you guys have a line for what you think it'll be on Tuesday, considering what just happened in Maui? <laughs> Announced um, actual. A, yeah, great question. <laughs> Look, it's an 8 p.m. Tuesday game against the worst team on our schedule, except for Shamina. Um, So I think they will announce at 4,500. And I think the real crowd will be half of that. Makes sense. It's, yeah. yeah. I'm not going. It's, I mean, it's 8 o'clock on a Tuesday. Are you kidding me? Yeah, I think the bigger tell is going to be come Saturday when we play... Uh, St. Mary's, and I mean, I'm scared because I feel like this could end up being a St. Mary's home game. This could easily, easily. Uh, I haven't looked at the ticket prices and seen if they've dropped or anything, but yeah, because it could easily turn into just just the St. Mary's home game, and we're just a couple of Cal fans. And I think, I mean, the key there is, because that's a big, big game in the Bay Area, I just want to see us come out and compete. I'm not... You know, my expectation, not necessarily that this team's going to win a game like that. Maybe maybe they can. Um, stuff happens. Um, but 
we got we got to be competitive. And in, in in the last two games in Maui, that I think that was the biggest disappointment was we weren't competitive. And um, on our home gym, I don't care who comes in here. If you bring the energy, um, I, I want to see you compete. And, and that's what I'm looking for next week. I think St. Mary's is, is, is a pretty big indicator where the season's going. Well, and we had better beat uh, Northridge because if we don't, there's a very real chance that Twist and Hook will show up to the St. Mary's game rooting for the Gales, and that's just unacceptable. Wait, what's he, he gave his tickets away, I believe. He, those tickets have already been given away, thankfully. He might be outside the stadium selling St. Mary's T-shirts and hats. Yeah, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't put that out of him. All right, gentlemen. It's always, as always, it's been a pleasure. Do we have any any other closing remarks that the two of you want to to give out? Any plugs or anything you guys need to get in? No, I just want to say um, Darius McNeil just is suing. Hang in there, fellas. Um, really positive signs early on and stuff to build on, and hopefully we start figuring out as the year goes on how to use those two guys. I think that's – I want to end with something positive. And I think those two guys um, showed a lot. Um, Grant Antisevich, at least offensively, defensively, I think, still maybe some issues there. But um, there's there's some stuff we can build on, and that's part of why I want. I really am hoping that the doubts that are creeping in about this staff is just a momentary blip, and they and they they know what they're doing because um, we got some good freshmen. Nick, anything? I think we have covered it all rather exhaustively. <laughs> yeah, and since uh, Reef is coughing, I think that's a good place to end it. <laughs> Rumors of his robotitude have been vastly overstated. Yeah. I, all right. Yeah, the rumors are Go that Reef, Reef is like a bicentennial man. He'll never really die. We just got to shut him off at some point. Yeah, and then maybe one day we'll get a national championship and I'll be alive for it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, gentlemen, as always, and thank you for listening, and as always, go Bears. Go Bears. Go Bears. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.